Welcome to The Bell Curve, the podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Jake Zapata. And I'm your co-host, Tom Hittinger. We launched this podcast to help entrepreneurs kickstart their ideas and early ventures. We're all used to the biopics from titans of industry, speaking from the mountaintops of massive companies, but often miss the authentic stories of entrepreneurs in the trenches, actively climbing the mountain. Here, we share our stories and those of our esteemed guests, co-founders and executives, breaking down what propelled them to success and how they braved adversity and uncertainty. Let's jump in. This is the bell curve. Um, Basically, we're a place where entrepreneurs kind of come on and share stories about how they've kind of hacked their way uh, to success. And so we're always kind of comparing ourselves to others and wondering how we stack up, right? Uh, Especially if you're a young college student, you don't really know where you stand. And so we want people to know that success is just more than ratings and grades. And in this podcast, you'll hear a lot from our guests in terms of how they've paved their own path, how it might have been a little bit different, how they were trailblazers in some ways, um, to kind of get themselves to that top of that bell curve, that 99 percentile, right? And so our mission here is to provide unique insights, you know, and actionable steps that people can implement today and move either their academic career or their businesses forward or even somewhat their lives forward here. Yeah. And we're really excited to have Kit Dobbins here with us today. Uh, welcome, Kit. We, uh, I'll, I'll share an intro on you, and uh, you're going to blush by the end of this, I can guarantee you. But um, I'll start by just saying, uh, Kit, I think we met in 2011. That, that's ballpark, right? Yeah. Uh, and since 2011, I can probably count on one hand the number of people I've met who even come close to you in humility. Um, you know It'll take a, a couple minutes to read through your bio, so I, I hope you're, you're buckled up here. Um, but you have a, a list of achievements like that of a future senator, dare I say a Kennedy, um, that definitely the, the looks of a Kennedy. Um, so <laughs> the punchline is kids kicking ass and in transforming industries. Um, so he's a serial entrepreneur, and notably in healthcare, now the co-founder of Kayabic, which is a women's health startup based in Philly. So you have to keep me honest on this, but based on our conversations, you're basically targeting the most underserved populations of women, uh, pregnant women specifically, who need more support and tools for healthy pregnancies. Is that a safe kind of summary there? Yeah, basically, yeah. And so, you know, we met up a few months ago in Philly when Kayaba was just getting off the ground. But since then, you all just announced your Series A. So huge congrats on that. What was that, 12 million? Yeah, something like that. Okay. <laughs> As if you don't know the exact number, Don. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, you know, prior to Kayaba, you actually co-founded another unicorn startup, also in healthcare, called TrialSpark, which, again, is, I might not do justice to describing it, but it's really streamlining, simplifying clinical trial processes, recruiting patients, getting the right diverse patients to trials to make sure that drugs um, really prove their success and get out to market faster and more intuitively. Fair? Yeah, exactly right. Okay, perfect. Jake? So, um... It's not the end of the resume, you know, we've known Kit since he was kind of this uh, tall, lanky Cornell student. Uh, we were all in the same Christian fellowship together and, and crew, and, um, you know, Kit and Tom were actually in the same scholarship program, which I believe is called the Mighty Scholars. I can never pronounce it because it doesn't ever uh, look the way it sounds, but, you know, you've always been this kind of like unassuming, very approachable guy, very easy to talk to, and, um, you know, 
you really kind of paved your own path. Um, and that's one of the reasons why a lot of folks admired you uh, at Carew. And so, you know, you first of all, you majored in Africana studies um, with minors in inequality studies, law and society. So kind of have a background in this stuff. It's, it's also uh, fairly unusual, like to be majoring in, in some of that stuff. Uh, and it's, you know, a relatively small major there at Cornell. And, you know, a lot of times we'd be like, yo, where's Kit? And you would leave campus for a little bit. You know, you'd come back. We'd wonder where you were at. And then you would come back and we'd learn that you were doing something kind of world changing, right? Or kind of setting yourself. You were learning like Swahili. You were learning Zulu. You know, you were teaching English in Rwanda. Um, you know, you worked at an orphanage in Tanz- Tanzania, you know, developing curriculums in South Africa, stuff like that. Um and the, kind of the list just kind of keeps going here, but all within the central theme of like, hey, you were doing cool stuff uh, in Africa. And so, you know, it's it's been really cool to see your journey up to this point. Yeah. Thanks, guys. That's too kind. <laughs> oh, we're not done. Yet, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you started your entrepreneurial journey in undergrad, right? So your trial spark wasn't necessarily your first startup since it sounded like you found a nonprofit, a couple of them. Um, during your time. Yeah, I think, I mean, it depends on how far you want to go back to like lemonade stands or, you know, how far we go back, but yeah, we can start there. <laughs> so you're a big lemonade stand guy, uh, which I, I couldn't find about you online. Or, or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you found some nonprofits. I'll just start skipping, skipping to the good stuff. You were totally unassuming, humble. I remember speaking with you at a cocktail hour once for Monday Scholars and I said, hey, like what have you been up to lately? And you said, oh, you know, just traveling and doing this and that. And then a few months after that conversation, the whole announcement came out where you were awarded the most prestigious award in for all undergraduates, the Rhodes Scholarship. And I remember thinking, wow, okay, this just puts an icing on the cake, cherry on top, um, that now, you know, you obviously went to Oxford, then BCG, and then began launching startup after startup. So I've, uh, I've loved getting to track with your path here and really excited to have you on the bell curve to unpack your kind of trailblazing over the past decade. So welcome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited to chat to you guys. And uh, thanks for running through that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so quit. I, I, so we do kind of have some like grounding questions. We kind of, for, for the audience, kind of want to know, okay, who was 18-year-old Kit, you know, and, you know, in college, okay, you're a Rhodes Scholar. You probably did pretty well in school. Um, so we all kind of know that, that you did well there. Um, I have like some specific questions. So like you started a business, did you start a business at Cornell or like at a university? Yeah, I, I did. I, tr- I, I try, I started many. Yeah. Um, so many failed, we like couldn't get through them. So like what you're reading is all of the stuff that, you know, it got a little bit of traction. So yeah, I tried a lot of stuff. Okay. So like, um, what was kind of interesting from this experiment that I ran in 2020 talking to like a bunch of Cornell students is a lot like more Cornell students were actually starting companies and running companies while also going to classes, which I thought was interesting. Most of them were in Web3. Um, and so, geez, I mean, we didn't even have any of this stuff like 10 years ago. I don't know. Or I don't know if you were in yeah. Web3 or Bitcoin back in the day. But like, what kind of companies were you like starting? And like, were the ones that were successful, like, were they making money? Yeah. So I think... Um you know, what you kind of realize is that in college, you have this opportunity to try a lot of different things and make mistakes and learn from it, whether it's in relationships or mm-hmm. classes or 
for startups. Um, and so I think like in thinking about startups or, or nonprofits or whatever, I more frame it as like a problem, like finding problems and trying to solve them. Um, it could be, Tom, I know we were joking about lemonade stand, but it's like, you know, when you think about like the simplest businesses, there's like, usually you're capitalizing on like some sort of arbitrage opportunity. Like you'll get someone lemonade quicker uh, or you'll be like cuter doing it or, you know, whatever <laughs> your, your angle is. Um, and so I think like, if we take that as a fundamental starting point as a student at Cornell, I didn't go too far beyond that. Hmm. Um, so I think uh, initially I was involved with like clubs, especially around clubs pertaining to interests that I had. So um, Jacob, you mentioned like Africana studies. So I think I, I was always very interested in um, race and uh, both and, and racism and, and thinking both about kind of like overt and covert racism and ways in which they manifested themselves well beyond I could really appreciate. And so in thinking about if we like take it back to problems, I was really interested in getting involved with clubs related to that. Um, and that kind of grew beyond sort of like domestic issues and clubs pertaining to African development and Africa and, and things of that nature. Um, so that was kind of my starting point. And in doing that, learned there was like upperclassmen starting clubs, doing things and sort of learned from them and engaged on like very specific issues. Um, so I think that's kind of like where I started um, and how I learned how to like get funding from the student government or not to get funding or even like, you know, my high school used Microsoft Outlook and at Cornell we had like big red baronet, which switched to Google Drive, but like how to like organize stuff and reach out to people, whatever it yeah. may be. Um, so that was kind of the starting point, like the crux. I think over time, like one that worked just or like worked a little more, there were folks doing, um, trying these different lighting mechanisms using plastic bottles and doing so for a low cost. And I was able to connect with an engineer that had developed kind of a, a solution for that and developed it successfully and kind of worked to distribute that uh, technology. Um, it generally lost, uh, at least as an undergraduate, what I thought was a lot of money, like a few thousand dollars. I think now as you kind of try and test other ideas, you learn that everything's going to take a little bit of work and, and money to try and test. Um, but even that business, we won a business competition at Cornell um, and were able to test it and distribute it in communities, both in the Middle East and Africa. Um, it didn't it didn't like take off, but both kind of two things. The lessons from that were important, but also the relationships. So the people that I built that with uh, the one of my classmates is now he's one of my closest friends, but also one of my closest advisors. Hmm. Um, I call him anytime I need something. So I think that was also kind of like a takeaway from that experience, even though it ultimately didn't work. And I could go on for hours about all of the sort of ideas I've tried that haven't worked or haven't gotten traction for kind of one reason or another. And like, what kind of entrepreneur were you back at Cornell? Like, uh, I'm someone who has like a framework. Every time I'm going to launch something or test something, like even to this day, I'm always, 
I got something in the pipeline that I'm testing. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I always set aside like 5,000 bucks if I'm going to actually like go past just the landing page phase and like, okay, cool. Like we're going to develop something, see if it works. A lot of these students at Cornell, they don't have that kind of yeah. um, resources to do that. So towards, I guess, towards the end, maybe now look at junior, senior year. Do you have kind of like a framework in terms of, hey, you know, this is how I come up with ideas. This is how I'm like implementing ideas. Here's how I'm reaching out to people and using the resources kind of available to me. Because Cornell does have a lot of resources to do this type of stuff. Most students don't know. Yeah, I think my framework is like, is, is again, just really focused on people. And I love chatting to people, learning about them. I love um, Juris Library at Cornell. I kind of, I was like a social sort of studier was kind of in there all the time and would just engage with all sorts of folks and learn an immense amount. And I think from those conversations, I'm always getting ideas and I always have a list of ideas on there. Uh, there was one idea I once had around making better lullabies for babies on YouTube because parents hand their babies these iPads and they just like look at them forever. Um, so sometimes the, uh, that's a terrible idea probably, but point being like, Sometimes the idea is like maybe not related to like my expertise or or anything I'm not I love babies um, don't but anything I'm like super passionate about um, and so I I think that sort of uh, this idea of like having broad exposure talking to people and trying to see problems where they exist is really important and I'll just do uh, just another shout out for like humanities. I think, no offense, Tom, I think engineering is fantastic. Um, but I do think that um, some of sort of the frameworks, Jacob, for me, are more around what's sort of like the problem, what's kind of missing there. Um, today, I have like a long list on Google, and every day I probably add an idea. Um, so that's how it works today. I think at Cornell, you know, my I, I kind of felt that I needed to get a job after graduation. That was sort of like, one, like the financial reality, um, but two, just the fact that I I felt like if I could get a job in like a narrow area, then I would be able to build a, a, a business around it. And I, we don't have to get into it, but in, in talking about that, most of the jobs I applied for at Cornell, I got rejected from, again, when you study humanities and you, there was an interview, I don't want to name the company, but it was a, a bank and I went to it and I... <laughs> I just said, Hey man, I don't want to waste your time. Like, I have no idea what the heck, like this is the situation here is you want me to like, like model. Um, and so I had to leave, but, uh, you know, ultimately I did, I did, uh, Tom, you mentioned BCG. I don't, it, it doesn't have to be a, a business. I did a consulting internship and there I worked on a, on a clinical, at a pharma company on clinical trials. And I was like, Holy smokes, this is a mess. Yeah. Uh, and that, kind of helped me. I put, there are other ways I came up with that idea and of my partners really drove a lot of that. But um, I think I don't, I'm, I'm a little bit all over the place. I don't have a framework. I more just have a sheet where I write stuff down and I just love talking to folks from different backgrounds. Um, I don't, I don't want to discount sort of like the uh, framework approach. Once I have an idea, I have kind of a framework and a structured way to test and we can get into that. But for actually coming up with ideas, I'm more of like a free-flowing sort of situational guy. So you're like more in the mix. So you basically put yourself like in a position to talk to with a lot of people um, 
naturally. You come up with a lot of ideas from there. You actually write them down. I, I find most people don't. Um, and then Yeah, not on purpose. Um, but like, it's just kind of what I do. And my friends will always come like, I'll get a, from random friends a FaceTime a day about like a, a startup idea. They have just an idea. Um, so I love like talking about that, shooting the breeze about that sort of stuff. Um, but, but, uh, I think like when we were at Cornell, you know, entrepreneurship was still, I mean, it was always a viable career, but it was still, you know, most folks, I, I didn't really have a plan. Yeah. Um, in like i mean even senior year but freshman sophomore junior year other than to you know learn a lot about the problems i cared about and that's obviously a really privileged position to say you know if i learn a lot about the problems i care about then like everything will be okay um and that's not always the case of course but i do think that at certain places certain institutions we're so privileged so blessed in the us that in many instances that is the case that if there are problems that you care about, if you're able to apply yourself, Excel, that you likely can identify sort of opportunities, whether it be a professional opportunity you want to pursue in an organization or an, a problem you want to solve or an idea. Um, and none of those three, none of those things are mutually exclusive. You could you know, work somewhere and test these ideas. But I definitely, as like a freshman, more thought of myself as like super resourceful, a bit of a hustler, maybe sometimes got me into more trouble than it was kind of a good thing. Um, and, and over time it led to like startups and stuff, but that really wasn't like my plan, you know, first day in low rise six or wherever I was. Low rise six would be single-handedly, uh, unanimously voted worst dorm on North campus, right? It was featured in the New York times as, uh, <clears throat> one of the worst dorms in America. It was designed um, to prevent riots, right? Uh, you know, it's designed that's to prevent riots say. in the There's 60s. There were no riots yeah. when I lived there, so uh, effective. <laughs> Very effective. So, Kit, if we could just spend a quick moment on your mindset is so unique, right? I don't know many people who just constantly ideate, almost like an inventor of days past. So, what inculcated that habit in you? Was it your parents were like that, your just friends that you hung out with growing up were like that. Was it just totally out of thin air? Um, I do think, I mean, we're so much of a product, our environment and the people around us. But, I mean, growing up, I had some incredibly smart friends that, you know, just pushed me and tested me. I grew up in a big family um, at, at Cornell as well. There was so many just brilliant people. Um, so I think that's one, one area, um, that I was kind of excited about and, and, and interested about. I also think in, I'm a middle child of five. I think there's these, as I've read more about like psychological theories, you're sort of like the one that's ignored and, uh, maybe you find like creative ways to like get attention or get love from your parents. So maybe that's somewhere in there, but I think, um, practically speaking, uh, uh, it's just, like based on like trying things, I more importantly learned like what I sucked at. Hmm. And as I learned that, I was kind of like, well, here's what I'm like better at. Hmm. And what I suck at, I'm like not good at managing large groups of people. I'm not like the most structured thinker. Um, and I'm not good at working within like large bureaucracies. 
Hmm. Um, and so like, or, you know, there's other things I figure out over time, but I, uh, even with like summer jobs at, in high school in Cornell, you kind of figure that stuff out. And, and then I think you kind of arrive at like what you enjoy and yeah. kind of go from there. I like that. And so you mentioned you're not super structured in kind of your day to day, but you can really get structured and deep once you start approaching something and latch on to something. Did so, you know when you, oh, go ahead. You can go ahead. I guess I was just on the structure point. I think that's like, as an entrepreneur, it's like, like I wake up every morning, probably around, I don't want to get sound crazy, but early, uh, like before six, for sure. Are we and, talking four? Are we talking like Joe Rogan? No, I try. And usually like one of my life goals is to never hit the fours and, <laughs> and ideally never the threes, but it happens with like travel sometimes, but around in, in the early fives. Okay. Um, a part of that is my, my wife is a is a, a medical resident, but you know I, I like to get up early. Um, so I think the structure piece is like, and I and every day I exercise. I'm and for me I'm not uh, you know I'm slow and steady out there running, but it's just like the fact of like getting out there doing it. Um, uh, and I think you know in college I had a different schedule. I I went to bed at like three or four a.m. I'd go home from the library and wake up way later. But still, like having some structure to my day, starting off the day with exercise, um, going to, uh, Jacob, you mentioned crew, going to, you know, our Christian group on Friday or I did one on Thursday. I think having like loose structure is really important, but beyond sort of like the loose structure, I would say I don't have like a ton. I appreciate that distinction. And, you know, what I'm, what I'm really interested in is if you have loose structure, you kind of set these milestones, these goalposts. Um, at what point in time when you're an undergrad, did you think if ever, Hey, I really want to become a Rhodes scholar. Um, huh. I think, um, yeah, that pr probably like, I appreciate the idea of like, if you want to do something like writing it down and writing it down like five times a day and like being focused on it. And I think that, uh, you know, people tell you that you can do certain things, draw certain analogies. So I think it's something that I probably thought about more in like my junior year or like became sort of an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, there was a student ahead of, a year ahead of me, his name was Ali Hussein. He was a Marshall scholar, uh, one of my closest friends in the world. Um, and, and there's two points I'll make about him. One uh, uh, he's a devout Muslim. I grew up devout Christian and I hadn't been exposed to, uh, uh, someone who, you know, with that background before, who was incredibly open. And there was so much I learned from him. And, and I think college is a great place to do that. Number one, but two, he going to Oxford and kind of that experience, I kind of learned from him and, and was like, uh, oh, wow. No, I'm, he's an incredible guy. But I was like, oh, this is like a possible thing you could do. Yeah. Um, and so I think it had a lot to do with knowing him and that, and, and, and that opportunity. Um, and then, you know, starting to think about what I needed to do to do it. So it does require quite a few letters of recommendation. Like, I want to say like eight or nine or something <laughs> like that. So it's like, at that point, you have to be like, hey, like, I got to hit up like my elementary school principal or like, whoever, you know, like, so there's like, for anything in life, there are things, there's like some planning related to it. But I also want to underscore, like, 
I do think that like focusing on things you care about, driving towards solving those problems is, is, is really important. And if you do that and work really hard, I think you can kind of, you know, work towards the right direction. I don't think I was like looking in the mirror when I was 18 saying like, I'm going to, you know, do this scholarship or whatever. Right. Well, so it's interesting because we spoke with one of our other guests who's Forbes under 30, 30 under 30 now. And she said, you know, Hey, I set that as a goal when I was 22 so that I could get it when I was 28. And I kind of reverse engineered it, you know, whereas it sounds like you almost were just pursuing your passions organically and then kind of realized, Hey, you know, I'm a kid. I've, I've, gotten to the place where my passions and my achievements on their own actually warrant, uh, you know, consideration for this really prestigious um, award, right, in this pro program. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear how everyone kind of takes it differently from stumbling into things for, to like reverse engineering, everything in between. Um, and so I, I'm curious, perhaps you're too humble to say in your own words, but why did the Rhodes Selection Committee tell you that they chose you? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I guess the first point is I think I think either way can work. I will say like after the Rhodes Scholarship, like I had to have a life too. And there's this saying that, and I'm going to screw up the saying, but it's like, uh, you know, Rhodes Scholars have most of their life behind them, meaning hmm. the most impactful thing they do in like a worldly sense that people know about is when they're 20 some years old. And that's kind of what people recognize. Hmm. So I think like I obviously... Uh, you know, hopefully have a have a have a have a lot of years ahead of me, and you know, wouldn't want to just like stop trying to solve problems. Um, I think in terms of why I was like selected for the the scholarship, I had a really um a, a really fascinating experience. I think I was selected. I got you know really lucky. Um, you you have to get lucky in these environments. You're around you know, really talented, really smart people, and you have a panel interview, and you're going to get asked questions. And some questions, you know, you can knock out of the park, and some questions you can um, not knock out of the park. Um, my first question, you know, my I, I, I know I went to Cornell, my major's Africana Studies, people may not realize this, but my first question was about the Old Testament. My granddad's a pastor, like that was like, not, or I don't, we don't have to get into Old Testament right now, but that was uh, like a layup. Um, and I had other questions like that just to build on itself. So I think, you know, sometimes like a week before that interview, and this was, I was a senior at Cornell. I, Tom, I interviewed at, I interviewed at Deloitte, did like a first round interview, got rejected. No. Some other got <laughs> like, right. So you, you get like, sometimes, sometimes, you know, there's all these impressive, talented people like sometimes it goes your way and sometimes it doesn't. The same with fundraising for startups or whatever it may be. Like I do kind of believe in sort of a little bit of a shots on goal approach yeah. with some focus. I think as a senior, I wasn't like that focused, but it was helpful. Um, and so I think that's one reason. And then the second is because I, you know, I guess I want to be careful about this, but like I, what I spoke about was that I wanted to build businesses, build, build problem, build solutions that solve problems that I cared about most likely for kind of like marginalized or underserved communities. And they asked me kind of in, at the end of my interview, you know, 
who do you want to be? Like, what do you want to become? And I was kind of like, I don't know that I like, I want to be like anonymous, but I would like to build things that serve people. And I use, there's this company, she, she, I believe her name was, uh, Layla. I, I may be messing up her name, but she passed away, but there was this company called Samosource, um, in based in East Africa and they created sort of meaningful jobs and job training. Um, they're still around actually, um, for populations. And I said, I'd like to build something like Samosource. Um, and you know, 10 years later, I think, um, Kaya care is like indicative of a lot of the things that I cared about at Cornell, a lot of the things I learned from people at Cornell. Um, and so I think that being able to speak to something that I truly hmm. cared about, um, and like looking back and being like, oh, that's what I actually do. Like I had a very genuine reflection of myself and the problems that I wanted to solve. And that probably benefited me in that process. Um, I would think, but you know, any other day I would probably have, that would have not worked out for me. So, uh, you know, you, you do have to get a little bit lucky there for sure. I do like that kit. I also got some consulting rejections. Accenture rejected me and then Jake and my uh, best friend, Ken went there. So, you know, it's a, a trail. If we combine all three of us, we've gotten accepted to everything and rejected from everything, you know? I've mostly gotten rejected. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's like, I, I think, uh, you know, this typical tale of an entrepreneur too is like, you don't, you, you kind of, you do, you know, sometimes there's a, a, a side of you that is a little bit, um, uh, doesn't respond well to authority is like a typical trait. Hmm. And that typically doesn't make like always like the best employee and some of these very structured environments. Um, and, and, and so, uh, just because you don't get certain jobs or do whatever, you know, that's like, like might be a measuring stick in this one little world, but it, 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 it really, uh, you know, it should just be an opportunity to kind of learn and grow. Absolutely. And, and kind of keeping it going from college. So you go to Oxford, uh, how long do you spend at Oxford? Two, two to four years there? Yeah, I spent uh, three years there. Three years there. Um, and then um, kind of how was that experience? So you like, what, what is it like going from like a good college in the U.S. basically to a good college in the U.K. like that? Um, it's very different. I think that, um, you know, there are two things. There are many things, but two primary things when we think of universities. One is that, that they do. One is research and two is teaching students. Um, the University of Oxford is... I would argue the very best in the world at research and that's what they do well. And that's how they're oriented. Um, they do not have the student services of somewhere like Cornell mm. um, and, and the structure sort of around the academic environment. There's basically like an exam at the end of each year, a written exam that you take. Um, and, and my approach to Oxford um, was a little bit more similar to what you all were asking with Cornell and ideas. I, Actually, in my 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 co-founder from Charles Park Ben, I met him on the first day of the Rhodes Scholarship, and he had a job at McKinsey, and I was like, "Hey, we should we should start something. Like, we should try and start something. We have two years to do this. This is a privilege. Like, let's not let's not. No offense, uh, but let's not have to put ourselves in a position where, you know, we're we're kind of." working on problems that we aren't defining, that we aren't excited about. 
at the end of this. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with his brilliance and that went a lot of different directions, but uh, we did end up starting Charles Park together. And, um, you know, at Oxford, it was an immense privilege to be able to work on that and to spend a lot of time with my peers and a lot of my closest friends there. And, and I met my wife there there too. So that was a, a, a great experience, of course. Um, but I think uh, only to say it was very different from Cornell where the academic sort of nature of the institution, I think can be really consuming and it can be really hard to find time away from all of the stuff that you need to read and write or problem sets or things like that. Um, so yes, very different, um, uh, but beneficial in other ways. Nice. And so you kind of go from Oxford, you transition over at some point, you land, it sounds like an internship, it looks like you were only there for months um, at BCG. Is that kind of where you were come, you came up with the idea of Charles Spark watching what was happening behind the scenes with some of these companies like in the healthcare space? Not exactly. So I did it right before Oxford. When I was going to Oxford, I was like, oh man, I don't really uh, have any money. I like worked at a water slide was at Cornell. Um, and so I would love to be able to see other places and travel in Europe. I'd often had traveled in, in Africa, but I hadn't seen much of Europe. And um, so I was like, oh, I'd love to save up money the summer before. I think in, in hindsight, I probably um, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have done that experience, to be honest. I, I probably would have just kept uh, working on problems that I, I cared about. Um, but yes, that summer I did, I did, uh, do a case at a pharma company in New Jersey. And, uh, part of the job was to think about how to cut costs. And in doing so, you see how much they spend everywhere. Um, when, when, when I was at Oxford and my roommate, Ben, when we were talking about ideas, one of the initial ideas that he had had, he was, he was a scientist and, uh, was around building websites for, uh, science labs. And, um, so we went with that idea and I think like we were eager and I, and we had two years, the, the point was just to try something and we'll iterate and figure it out and, 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 and make it happen. And I've had that experience kind of other places as a builder, like sometimes you just gotta start rowing and, 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 and figure it out. And so we started approaching scientists in the UK and elsewhere and say, Hey, like your website's not very good. You want to like pay us to make it better. And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and so we quickly learned like, oh, you need to do like, how does that like create value for them? Um, and as we did that, we realized, oh, they advertise for their research studies and they put these built these posters up and things on polls and stuff like that. And, and it leads to this secondary issue or really primary issue of like having relatively homogenous populations that participate in the research. And and as we did that, then we applied to summer um, accelerators. We got rejected from a lot of them. Um, and we did get uh, accepted a, a great one, one in Pittsburgh called Alpha Lab. And they uh, got like a, I don't know, 50 or 100x return on their, their investment. Um, so I feel like I don't want to uh, badmouth them. But compa- I think that most folks would try to go to Y Combinator or some other places before maybe uh, spending the summer there. But 
what we got there was the opportunity to work really closely with the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center and to sort of be in a place and an environment where there wasn't actually many other builders trying to serve them and solve the problems that we were trying to solve. Um, so it ended up being a blessing in disguise. And from there, we started reaching out to other investors and folks gave us feedback and ideas and people were incredibly receptive. And over time, we sort of grew that business. Um, but it really started with this idea of just saying, hey, let's build something. Let's like protect some time to do it. And let's go and test it. Let's go talk to people and see who will buy this. And I think now is kind of a good opportunity now that we're talking about, you know, Charles Spark, how you got that going. You talked earlier in the podcast about cool, like things are a little bit unstructured. You're kind of in the mix. You're talking with ideas about people. That's what you like to do. However, once you kind of land on something and you're going to commit to really seeing if, if it has legs, how do you kind of go about testing some of those ideas? Um, and how long do you give yourself basically to do that? Yeah. So I think the first way in terms of how I test stuff. So for anything I do, I usually create a Google folder. I try and create a deck. I don't spend more than like a day on it. Hmm. And then I create a list of people and I try and reach out and sell to them. So I'll sell them product or service. It gets, as we get more into sort of the healthcare delivery and healthcare services and some of the issues that I tackle today, it gets a little bit harder. But early on, that was kind of how I did it was to say, could I find a customer? And if I can find a customer with like what I have right now, then this must work. Um, so I have definitely like a bias for action. I think most textbooks or people would recommend that you do like a bit more research and I probably would as well. Um, but that's just not how I like am wired. Um, so that's how I test ideas. Um, the amount of time is tough, is a tough question. We spent, we spent about, I don't think we got our first customer for, for, uh, the work we were doing at trial spark for almost a year or so. Um, and so it took a really long time. We did get some non-paying customers and I know folks say, you know, make sure you get your customers to pay, but when you are trying an idea and you want some users, that's, you know, sometimes you have to go. So I think, um, that, that was a long time. I think now, as I've done more, you start to get a sense of like, oh, this thing has legs. This can work. And as you try more ideas and they fail, you start to understand some of the characteristics that will make something work. I think for me, it has a lot to do with um, the opportunity. Is it, is it uh, one in which it's like, generally unsolved in a really specific narrow niche. So like for trial sparks, our first customers were the Jenner Institute at Oxford. And now they're, uh, have been a little bit more in the news years later because they were pivotal in developing the AstraZeneca vaccine. But back then they were working on, a, on many different vaccines pertaining to malaria and Ebola. And there weren't many folks really targeted on recruiting for these vaccine studies, for these vaccine institutes. And so you start to see, oh, we can solve this very narrow issue for this group. And then there's another vaccine group and, and, and you go from there. And so I think being really narrow, like within a narrow space, is there an opportunity um, and worrying less about like how you're gonna grow your TAM and your solution? Because as you embed with the, with the, the user and the customer, 
you'll find sort of other, you, you know, the wind will take you huh. um, and you'll find opportunities and needs. And can, what drew you to healthcare specifically? I mean, you talk about solving tough problems. Healthcare is hairy, right? Um, and big. But was it was it something about patient outcomes and just how close it hits to home that drew you or, or another reason? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's like now I always find myself in a room of like, you know, doctors who are really smart and I'm, they're kind of like, what is this guy doing here? <laughs> um, and and I think what drew me to it was a little bit of the search, like for ideas and figuring out what works and what you see in healthcare is a really nice mix of um, uh, a way to serve people, improve outcomes, areas that I found like fulfilling from a young age. But two, there's immense amount of opportunity, I think, to either reduce cost or to drive revenue or whatever it may be, but to build business around these opportunities. I think other issues um, certainly can be solved with startups, um, take, uh, take an issue around like education, but there, there are, uh, this is like probably debatable topic, but I think there are certain issues whereby you really need government intervention and, and you really need large government spending to solve them. I'd argue that also to be the case, as we saw with the coronavirus, with, with certain healthcare issues, but other verticals I found in healthcare, you can solve them with sort of an entrepreneur, entrepreneurial bend. Mm. Um, and so I found there was a nice mix there. I wouldn't say that, I mean, today my sheet has a lot of healthcare ideas um, just because that's what I, you know, am thinking about all day. But I wouldn't say that like I set out to, to uh, you know, start a healthcare company and I was one of the folks at Cornell. I was taking, you know, solar systems and mushrooms and all that stuff. I wasn't like, you know, sitting there in biology and healthcare and society, or whatever those classes were and uh, learning that stuff. Interesting. Well, because I, I find it so fundamental that, um, I mean, Trial Spark, you already acknowledged recruiting representative, uh, non homogenous populations for trials has been such an issue that, yeah. I mean, what was it? It wasn't until the 1970s or 1980s that many studies even began including women in their trials. And then on top of that, not to mention the fact that so many diseases disproportionately affect certain racial groups and, and genders. So that problem combined with now what you're doing in Kayaba seems like you've uh, really like latched onto some like much broader, uh, both health and societal type problems that are kind of the biggest issues to solve nowadays. Yeah, I think that um, that that I th those are certainly big issues. Um, I think that you know also the issue of racism within clinical trials and and some of the horrors of the way in which patients and in particular uh, patients of color have been treated uh, uh, in, in certain trial contexts is is horrific. Um, I think that's right. I do think that the other thing that happens as businesses grow is they do change and evolve hmm. and the focus you know i'm not involved with it today but trial spark today is a drug company that buys drug assets and they may very well be focused on diversity in trials but i don't think that's like their number one um uh sort of 
priority. Uh, it's certainly probably something that they care about. And I think I, I say that because I am also trying to, to talk, speak to how do you know also when it might be time to work on a different idea? Um, and part of that, uh, I think, should be uh, based on business metrics and growth and whether this might be a good opportunity for you to move on or maybe this idea doesn't make sense, even if it's working. Um, but another part of that is really going back to the idea that you were alluding to, Tom, which is like, if there's a problem that you care about and you need to basically be the best in the country at solving this because you have like two people, a laptop and not very much money. Like it needs to be a problem that either you, you care about that you're passionate, excited about. Maybe you don't know a ton about it yet, but you really care about it. And so I do think that, yeah, the idea, that's idea of being more inclusive in clinical trials, uh, that that idea highlighted to me that hey even when we're inclusive this is like a finite time period and these folks are actually often left out from more comprehensive models of care and you know reasons that they're you know what are the reasons that they're left out what are sort of the financial models that are creating this dynamic and how can that be addressed and so i think um uh i agree that like the two are related but i also think that it can be really important to think about, again, what are sort of the problems that you're excited about and trying to put yourself in a position to solve those problems. Not maybe not solve them, but work towards improving them. That's awesome. Um, super fascinating. I've, I've never, I, I'm not in healthcare, so I'm learning a lot just from the call. Uh, and I, I want to ask a ton more questions, but to keep it um, relatable to the audience, this is an experience that I also have, uh, but you kind of mentioned, okay, you know, you kind of need to know when it's time to move on, you know, whether that be an idea, you know, uh, in my case, it was, is moving on from a company. You also yeah. eventually did move on, um, from trial spark. How do you kind of make that decision on, Hey, it's, it's time for me to transition and go and do something else. Um, either cause I have other interests or, you know, maybe I'm just not a cultural fit in the company anymore, or this company is going in a direction that, you know, we originally had, and, you know, it's, I just see it differently. Um, how are you kind of thinking about moving on from your company? And then what do you kind of, what, what happens after that? You know, do you kind of like hang out for a little bit and then ideate and then you have intentions of starting a new company? Um, or how do you think about life after that? Yeah, I think this is a tough question. Um, I would say that like in the moment and like for Kayabacare right now, I think of it as like, I'm, I'm hopefully here for, the rest of my life, I feel like this is a really important problem and that we can solve it. Um, but the reality is going back to like that question at the interview where they say like, who do you want to be? It's like, you know, I'm going to die whether it's tonight or in 50 years. And you want to build things that s serve people and uh, uh, serve them in ways that are beyond what you can do and, and leverage the expertise of people you know, beyond oneself. And so um, I do think that in anything you're building, you constantly want to try and make yourself replaceable. Hmm. Um, you want to make yourself replaceable uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because it's good for the organization. Two, it's usually good for you as a shareholder. Um, you can own equity in that entity, not be there as that equity grows. You can work on other things, whatever it may be. So I think that's always like 
really important and always what you're kind of working to do for any single company you're in is create structure and process to do that. Um, so I think that's the first piece. I think the second is, and Jacob, you mentioned this kind of around like cultural fit. So, you know, one problem that I have is I, I maybe excel a little bit more in the ideation part uh, in the sort of scrappy phases. I am probably less valuable as time goes on in, in certain companies and less of an asset. And I, I've had to learn that through my own performance and trying to be introspective and getting feedback from others. But I think, uh, you know, as you, as you learn that you start to think about, you know, where you contribute and where you fit in. So I think that's another point that I've had to think about. Um, third is probably around like relationships and, and this is like, you might, or they might be number one, but you know, with your family, with your colleagues, just, you know, whether that's a fit. And then I think the last, I last you know, variable, I'm not ordering these in any sort of order is, you know, probably around financial. So there's always arrangements and how you might vest in companies arrangements and when it would make sense to leave or, or not leave. Um, and so I think those are the variables to, to think about, but as like a student, uh, you know, younger student in college or things like that. And I would, I would think of them as better suited to kind of be in the shoes that I am now today, which is like, you know, what's the problem you want to solve? Let's solve it. And I'm like, every day I'm trying to make myself more and more replaceable. Um, but even when I'm replaceable, I, you know, just want to hang out here because I love the people and the problem that we're trying to solve. And maybe it doesn't make sense for me to be here at some point, but I think it's better to put yourself in a position where, um, uh, you know, you're, you know, it's, it's maybe time to move on as opposed to like others sort of forcing you out and really focus on just like building as opposed to exiting per se. I really like that perspective kit. And, you know, obviously you both have co-founded startups. So uh, my, myself just advising them, I think it, it means a lot more coming from the trenches. Um, and I, I think that the problem that you're solving at Kayab is so interesting to me. I want to make sure we uh, don't gloss it over that, um, Based on, I, I am not fully up to date on the stats, but I've heard for years that in spite of all the advancements in the U.S., we're still one of the last among developed nations in infant mortality and in even just healthcare outcomes for women who give birth. And that when you bifurcate that into even socioeconomic status, we have entire populations within the U.S. who just don't have access to care and resources and, um, you know, really have a, a, a big uh, unsolved issue with infant mortality and losing their, their loved ones um, during that moment. So uh, is, tell me a bit more about how you came to identify that problem with Kayaba Care and really like what that process was like launching that adventure. Yeah, I think that um, when I left Charles Spark and Jacob, you asked about like in between and what that looks like. And then Tom will get to your point. I think I, I found it really tough in between startups. I uh, would kind of take my laptop out and go to my couch each day and be like, all right, uh, what are we working on today? You know, baby YouTube videos or healthcare ideas or whatever it may be. Um, and so I waited a little bit too long to find a partner, someone that I wanted to work with. Once I did that, I felt like I was kind of off to the races. And I think that 
you know, relationships with your business partners may go north, they may go south, but often while you're in it together, you can really uh, feed off each other. You can really build things of consequence and not just with co-founders, but also with colleagues, with uh, people that you work with, you know, nothing would be possible without these other folks. And so when I, when I left, I kind of put myself a little bit on an island and that's something I probably wouldn't recommend. Hmm. Um, as I centered on this idea of building care delivery vehicles for underserved populations, I started talking to my co-founder, our, our CEO of Kayaba Care, Olan, um, Dr. Olan, as we call him, he's a doctor. Um, <laughs> and uh, we started having weekly calls and weekly calls and we would just hash through ideas hmm. and, 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 and talk about kind of what we were working on and how we were getting there and sharing slides and notes. And we started a little bit outside of sort of maternity explicitly and more towards um, kind of emergency care for these populations. And as we sort of started to think about how you could improve outcomes for populations and best serve them, you la we landed more on um, both maternity and pediatrics. And as you look more at the data, Tom, as you were alluding to, it's just heartbreaking to think about some of the statistics and the ways in which maybe they could be reversed. And as you dive deeper and, and talk to more folks, you learn, oh, like, this is like, not just heartbreaking, it's, it's absolutely tragic because like, it seems like it could be reversed if we allocated resources in the right place and um, delivered care with different models and you know thought more about the ways in which our health system was built to serve you know predominantly white populations and and may not serve other populations as well or or meet them where they are or as effectively um, and I think you know I'm not I think often, you know, you hear this saying with startups that if you're the customer, you can like build a better solution. I'm clearly not the customer, right? Um, and so that's something you have to be very sensitive to, one, because again, it gets to, you know, what my role is and really making sure that we're building a team that is able to develop a, a, a meaningful product for this population. But I felt like, you know, given my past experience in startups, that I would be able to attract capital to the problem in ways that maybe others haven't. Um, so that's one thing that I thought about. And the second is trying to trying to reinforce some of the, the principles that I saw and learned from folks at TrialSpark, things like being really data driven and, and, and quantitative, um, being first principles thinking, um, being action oriented sort of infusing some of those principles in the work that we were doing to see if we could build something that would not just serve patients in one city, but beyond that. And so um, at the same time, you know, while we were doing this, I live in Philadelphia. Um, I think there's these stats I see that it's like the largest poor is the word that I've seen like quoted in news city in America. What that basically means is that I believe it has like the largest population of individuals that are below the poverty line. And so when you live amongst that and see that every, you know, on a daily basis, you do start to start to think about what you can build for that population. And so um, that's sort of how we got to 
where we were with Kyabicare and it would not have been possible with my co-founder, Dr. Olan or Dr. Mary Fleming, she's an OBGYN. So as we, as I thought more about the problem and had people to work with, we were able then to, to kind of work towards a solution and that's what we have done and are doing. Um, and I think in going back to just a lesson for me of sort of being on an island and something that might apply to other folks is that most everything I've done um, that's been effective has been with other people or thanks to other people. And, and uh, you know, people may not like giving up equity or whatever it may be, but I always find that those conversations are, are you know, to be generous and, and take care of themselves and really that most things are more enjoyable if you have uh, someone else by your side. Yeah, I love that. And what are you most excited about now? Okay, I have a care. What lies ahead? Um, I th- what I'm most excited about is our team and just the work that they're doing. They, so our team, basically what we do is we're not the OB. We go into patients' homes and we provide care throughout the prenatal and postpartum journey with medical care and social care. Um, but we're filling gaps and we focus on um, patients from more dis- disadvantaged backgrounds and and our team has had tremendous results, both in terms of patient feedback, in terms of measurable outcomes. And I really think that our team is uh, doing something amazing and, and, and we'll be able to do this kind of in cities beyond. Right now, we're really concentrated in the Atlantic, but beyond that. And, you know, folks right now may get caught up in like the, there's a lot of really, ter- you know, tough things happening in the world. And and, and or in the market, stock markets or venture funding or whatever it may be. But it's just a moment in time. And I think going back to like solving a problem and knowing that you're solving it, in my mind, you know, my thought is if we keep solving this problem, uh, you know, we're not focused on, you know, so much like today or next week, we're more thinking about three years, five years, 10 years. And so trying not trying not to get too caught up in like the stresses of the news cycle and really focused on trying to solve the problem uh, in front of us. And our team has done just an amazing job with that. That's awesome. And so Kit, you know, kind of wrapping up, you know, just kind of for our our young listeners here, um, any advice that you have for any of these young chipper and aspirational um, folks who are trying to crush it right out of college and, you know, maybe they don't know what the future looks like for them. So, yeah, I mean, cold emails would be my number one advice. I think people don't write enough cold emails. I try and write three to five a day. Uh, Going back to like that basic structure, um, I have, you know, I'm still waiting to hear back from Barack Obama. Um, (laughs) You know, like seriously. So, I mean, uh, probably because I don't have like, uh, it would be helpful if I had a more targeted ask as well. Probably would never hear back, but you know, you don't want to just like email LeBron James for no reason. Uh, I haven't hit him up yet. Um, but cold emails, I have found really, really valuable when there's like a problem. You'd be amazed at folks' generosity. Uh, you know, I, but I mean, cold email me, I, I try to set up time with anyone that emails me. I email people. I think it's, um, can really go a long way. And, um, uh, that'd be number one. And then number two is just cultivating relationships. 
the way I met my, actually to go back to what met my co-founder Olan, I was rejected from an interview when I was a senior at Cornell. That interviewer, amazing, amazing guy. We kept in touch over the years and he later introduced me to my co-founder. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, two is just cultivating relationships with people and being somewhere like Cornell, I was at my 10 year reunion last weekend and, um, you know, no one's heard of, you know, I'm, I have care of stuff I'm doing, um, you know, that's relatively, uh, you know, these are startups. Um, the scale and scope of some of the things my classmates are doing is like incredible. They're, you know, someone was negotiating um, the release of families in Kabul in August, um, you know, things like this. It's just amazing, uh, inspiring, and like you learn so much from them. So I think, um, uh, Jacob, you mentioned like you never know where people will end up and it can be stressful in the moment. And I think that uh, talking to folks, you know, last week in that reunion really reinforced um, uh, that folks end up, can end up, you know, doing awesome stuff that they're passionate about and it can be really exciting and you can learn a lot from maintaining those relationships. That's awesome. Man, this was a great podcast. I mean, you just gave some, there, there's a lot here. Um, we can't wait to distill it down, pull it out. I already have like three ideas of things I kind of want to include um, when when we actually launch and release it. So I, I do want to share those with you if you're willing to make yourself available to some of the students who do have questions and kind of want to jam. Um, I'll hit you up and, and let you know. Um, yeah, that sounds great. But dude, thanks for so much for coming on to the Bell Curve, man. Yeah, thanks guys for what you're doing. I'm excited to see where it goes and I'm excited to learn too. I'll definitely, you know, re take advantage of the resources. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Peace, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us this week on The Bell Curve. If you loved this episode, go ahead, give us a follow, and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. It would mean the world to Tom and I. We come up with new episodes every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Until next week.